Did you know I wrote a book? My book, Diabetes Sucks, You Can Handle It, is your guide to managing the emotional challenges of type 1 diabetes. And I want to offer you the book for free. You can download the book by going to www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash book. That's www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash book. You'll join thousands of other people who have read this book and taken the skills and tools they've learned from this book and applied them to their lives with type 1 diabetes. You can download the book now and start implementing the tools today. That's www.thedibepsychologist.com forward slash book. Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. Get ready for an inspiring episode. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Brooke Bennett. Brooke is in her third year at Hope College in Michigan. And in January 2022, Brooke gave a TEDx talk called Why the Price of Insulin is a Danger to Diabetics. This talk has gotten more than a million views on YouTube so far, and it is amazing. In this episode, I'm talking to Brooke about her experience giving that TED talk, what inspired her to give the TED talk, and how the TED talk has given her a platform for advocacy right now and launching her into the future. Here's my conversation with Brooke. Brooke, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited about our conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very excited too. As I start with everybody who gets on the podcast, I want to hear about you and especially your life with type 1 diabetes. I know you were diagnosed about 10 years ago. So tell us about your diagnosis and life since then. Yeah, absolutely. So I was diagnosed on October 6th of 2012. I was 10 and in fifth grade. I was super sick over a very long period of time, and they thought it was just a delayed flu, um, something like that. And they took me into the doctor because they thought I was dehydrated. And they ended up doing some blood work and giving us the call that said nothing other than get her back in, something's wrong. So that freaked my parents out quite a lot. Um, They didn't say anything about what the test showed. So my parents rushed me back into the urgent care Um, And they told us my blood sugar was about 350, which was very low usually for a type 1 diabetes diagnosis. Um, So from there, they sent me to um, the first hospital who said that they could take me. And that hospital got me in, processed me, and then said, actually, we can't take her because she's um, like she's a kid and we can't do pediatrics. So then they sent me to another hospital from there. And I went to a children, Detroit Children's Hospital and they got me in and started educating me about diabetes. And the whole thing was super interesting because both my parents are educators. So they're both trained on all the symptoms and treatments of diabetes. So it was kind of funny. They didn't really recognize any of, and I had every single like, basic symptom that you can get for diabetes. Um, and they didn't quite make that connection because I was their own kid and they 
couldn't really see that. So that was interesting, but they let us out a little bit early because my parents did already have all that training. So I didn't have to stay in the hospital as long. Um, and then from there, uh, my parents really encouraged me to be as involved in my diabetes as I can from day one. So right from the beginning, they wanted me doing my own shots, counting my own carbs, um, everything like that. So that's kind of, I jumped right into it. Um, I think it was a, a day before I was giving my own shots, which wow. um, is kind of crazy looking back at it. And um, yeah, so that was a big step for me. And since then, they've, my parents have kind of taken a step back um, and let me do most of it. They were always there to support me when I needed it, but they wanted me managing my own diabetes from day one. So um, moving forward, I kind of went through that teenage rebellion stage. I did a really good job managing um, for the first couple of years. And then I hit kind of that late middle school, early high school age where I was like, why, why am I doing this? Um, and things took a little bit of a downhill turn from there. It was kind of like that why me stage. Um, and then moving forward from that, I kind of came back into that. I'm doing this to keep myself healthy and I have to, I just have to live with it. I have to live with diabetes. Um, and it was kind of at that point where I think I kind of shifted my mindset into how can I use this moving forward? Um, instead of sitting in here and feeling sorry for myself and not managing my diabetes, how can I take my diabetes and make changes? So um, going into high school, I started doing a little bit more I wouldn't say advocacy work because it wasn't really that yet, but um, I started talking to other people who had diabetes. Um, my name was always mentioned when um, a friend of the families got diagnosed with diabetes or something like that. They always said, talk to Brooke. Um, she can give you any advice and things like that. So um, that was something I did several times throughout high school was um, talking to parents of younger kids that had just been diagnosed and then the kids themselves. Um, and then I came to college, kind of got out on my own, and that was a whole new level of managing my diabetes, um, especially not having a roommate um, was something I really had to hone in on making sure I was on top of managing my diabetes, because if something were to happen, I don't live with anyone. So um, I really had to take kind of control of that. And that's kind of when I stepped into my advocacy stage, where I really, really wanted to focus on... Um, just seeing what I could do to make the world a better place because of my diabetes. So before we go there, I want to take a step back and hear a, a couple questions for you. You said your, your parents are, are educators. Are they diabetes educators or are they teachers? No, they're teachers. Okay. Yep. So yep. They, they, they're just aware of other kids who have diabetes and the signs and symptoms. Yes. Yes. They were both trained in the signs and symptoms and then um, how to manage the diabetes of the kids. And my dad's a principal. So especially in his elementary school, he was um, the school nurse. And then he was kind of the person overseeing a lot of that during the day. That's awesome to hear. I, that's actually the first time I've ever heard of teachers and principals taking an active role in identifying and also helping to manage diabetes for kids in their classes. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that looks a little bit different because my school doesn't, my district doesn't have a nurse for each individual school. We had one nurse for the entire district. So a lot of the educators um, and administrators were trained in um, all things diabetes and a lot of other different things so that they could um, be on top of it and be helpful, especially because there wasn't a nurse in every building all the time. I'm curious, when you were diagnosed at 10 and through 
the first couple of years and even up to now, what sorts of messages did you get from your parents, from your doctors, from other people about what you could or couldn't do with diabetes and what having diabetes means about you? Yeah. So I'd say my with my parents, they were just always super supportive. There wasn't anything I couldn't do with diabetes. Um, and they wanted me to live up to my full potential no matter what. Um, so that's especially why I think they kind of pushed me to be managing it myself. Um, they wanted me to see that I really could do anything, even with my diabetes. I think then you step into kind of outside my little family bubble and into the real world. And there's all these people telling me there's things I can't do with diabetes and that I can't eat certain things or I shouldn't be exercising to the point I was, or I needed to be exercising more. Um, and you kind of hear all these messages that are a little bit different than what I had within my family unit. And for a while that was kind of conflicting for me. I wasn't really sure to what level I could do things. Um, and even with my doctors, they were great for the most part, but I kind of felt disconnected from my own like medical um, treatment. They kind of, they didn't involve me as in decision-making as much as I would have liked them to. Um, I was dismissed a lot um, when I would bring up concerns or different things about my diabetes. They would kind of judge my diet in a way that was shook. Um, kind of shocking for me. Um, I was told I couldn't eat certain things or I should be eating. Um, the biggest thing I got was I should be eating more carbs at certain times in the day. And that kind of came out of nowhere because I had steady blood sugars. It wasn't like I was dropping in the morning or anything like that. So they wanted me eating higher carb all the time, even though I had a very balanced diet. So it was kind of frustrating for me with my doctors, I think, especially them being pediatric doctors specifically, they weren't as used to their patients wanting to take an active role in their diabetes. And that's something both I wanted to do and my parents wanted me to do from day one. So um, that was pretty confusing and frustrating for a long time. Um, but I think especially once I got through that um, kind of rebellion stage in my early teenage years, I kind of started to realize that I can do certain things. And I can search for a doctor that fits um, with me better. So there was a lot of steps I took after that point to make sure I was doing what was best for me and my diabetes. Um, so I think um, that helped a lot getting to that stage. Sounds like this didn't empower you to take care of yourself. They wanted to be very dictatorial about what you could and couldn't do. Absolutely. That was absolutely <laughs> right. So now you're in college. You're a third year in college. Yep. Is that right? Yep. And you have taken on a pretty big advocacy role. So tell us about TEDx, what TEDx is and how you have used it to have a really big stage. Yeah, absolutely. So TEDx is an independently sponsored um, TED event and TED stands for um, technology, um, entertainment and design. And so those conferences involve usually a number of speakers giving speeches on various topics that fit within their umbrella. Um, and TEDx specifically focuses in on a specific community. So for my event, it was TEDx Hope College, which is the college that I'm attending. And it was started about three years ago. So the year before the year I gave my TED Talk was the first year at TEDx Hope College. And I remember seeing the ad, the advertisements for it um, my first year here, but I was a freshman. 
I thought, I thought maybe I would apply for it. I wasn't sure, but I wasn't that involved in camp on campus yet. Um, I had a lot of freshman things going on, just trying to get oriented into the life of college and I missed the deadline. So um, I remember looking back and saying, oh, they already picked their speakers. I guess, guess it wasn't meant to be. And then my sophomore year, the theme came out and it was every single day. And I thought that's why I missed last year because this year is perfect for me because this is my every single day. So from there, I just knew, especially with that theme that I needed to audition. So I wrote up my application. I went in for an audition and they really liked what I had to say. So from there, I got to work with a team of my peers, which I think was the most amazing part of it was they were all Hope College students. Everyone from the executive team to the other speakers were all students. And over the course of several months, I got to develop my talk on diabetes. And originally it started out very, very technical. And I started to realize that my own story is what made it personal and interesting. So I think the biggest thing for me coming out of that process was learning to incorporate my own story into my advocacy. Um, and that is what really makes it all the more powerful. You gave this talk in January of 2022? Yes. And so right now we're in the middle of November. Tell mm -hmm. the listeners how many people have watched the TED Talk on YouTube. Over a million. I think the last time I looked, it was 1 million, 20,000. Um, yeah, that's so incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I never expected it to get to that number. So looking at that count was crazy for me. So tell us what the talk is about. What did you, what was your idea that matters or idea was spreading is the, is the theme for TED. Yeah. So I gave a talk on why in the price of insulin is a danger to diabetics. So I basically just took um, the concept of insulin being overpriced in our society. And I kind of came at that from a view of privilege. I have a lot of privilege in my own life. My parents have great insurance. I've always been able to get my insulin for the most part um, with a few little exceptions when I've needed it without problem. Um, but there are a lot of people in this country that don't have that same luxury that I do. Um, and I felt like I had a great platform to be able to say something that needed to be said and give voices to people who maybe don't have the same privileges that I do. So from there, I just talked a lot about what it was like for me to live with diabetes. And then the fact that beyond myself, there are people that deal with all the similar things that I do, but also have to deal with the struggle of not being able to afford their insulin. So I really wanted to take that topic and be able to put it on a stage for people to be able to see a really big problem in our society. Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll make sure that we link to the TED talk in the show notes of this episode. So you can go watch it as well, because the, the talk really is, it's, it's an awesome talk. So since then, so we've, it's less than a year out from, it's less than a year from the time you recorded it or, or gave the talk, I should say, and it was recorded and we're at more than a million views. How has this impacted you, your diabetes, and your desire and advocacy heart? Yeah. So 
at a personal level, I gained a lot of confidence in myself and my ability to just do hard things. Um, so that was kind of like the biggest thing for me as a person. And I think that translated into my diabetes as well. So I, if I was able to get up there on that stage and talk about my diabetes, like I know that I can handle it every day. Um, so in terms of just kind of my life, I would say that talk kind of drove me forward in all of my aspects of my life. And, um, it really kind of set me up for being able to like open the doors into the advocacy world. Um, I had a really great platform and from there I've had people reach out to me about doing different things. Um, in terms of advocacy, I've had people reach out to me personally about just my story and being able to talk to them then about their stories. And that kind of really drove me. I didn't understand that I could, I guess, use my, I had some idea, but just having everything happen the way it did. Um, I'm only 20 and I have a lot of years left to go to be able to share my story and share my life. And I have a bunch of different ways of doing that. And I'm super excited to explore um, just the different things I can do with my diabetes advocacy further. Have any of the insulin companies reached out to you? They have not. Hmm. No. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I have to ask you, during your TED Talk, when you were giving it in January, mm -hmm. what was your blood sugar? Oh, I believe it was 200. Okay. <laughs> you, were you were definitely running higher, but if you watch the video, I brought a juice box out on the stage with me. I did, and okay. Everyone freaked out. Like everyone who knew me personally freaked out. They were like, oh my goodness, is she low? Is she okay? But really I had that juice box. I knew I was high, but I had that juice box on stage with me so that if I forgot the rest of my talk, I could pick it up, say, I'm sorry, I'm low. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that's awesome. That's a great little tidbit. <laughs> so what's next for you in your advocacy efforts now that you have this big platform? Yeah, it's, it's so difficult to try and figure some of those things out. And a lot of it just kind of comes naturally into who is contacting me. I'm doing a lot of things right now with school and everything. So um, it's a little bit tough, but um, I sat down and had a conversation with my dad recently about his ideas for what's next for me in terms of advocacy. He said, I think you should write a children's book. I said, wow. That's really interesting. I don't know if I could write a children's book. And he said, no, you absolutely can. And that is a great step forward. It's something you can do while you're in school. It'll be pretty easy. Then you find someone to illustrate it for you and you just get it out there. I said, wow, that's a really, really interesting idea. I never would have thought of it for myself, but I think you're right. So I think in the next couple of years, as I'm working through school, I think that's probably one of the next step for me, steps for me is writing a children's book. So we'll see where that takes me. And it's funny that you said, I don't think I can do that. After you give this <laughs> talk that's been viewed a million times. Yeah. If you, I, if you can do that, there's no reason why you can't write a children's book. Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. It was definitely just something that wasn't on my radar. And I, 
I didn't think I necessarily had the capacity for it, but my dad saw something in me that I guess I didn't really notice in myself at first. And now that I have that idea in my head, I've kind of just run with it. Well, and I think that what you're saying really talks to the bigger challenges that we have with our emotional health and diabetes. Mm-hmm. You know, the burnout, the anxiety, the worry that we're not good enough or whatever that whatever those things are, those are real. But mm-hmm. what they do is not only do they make us not feel very good emotionally and physically, but they also sometimes close the doors for us to believe that it's possible that we can do great things. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I really believe that everybody in this world, but especially people with diabetes are called greatness. Yeah. And I want to challenge you, but also challenge the listeners to think about, you know, what do you think diabetes has closed the door to? Or what do you think the stress of diabetes has closed the door to you around? Mm-hmm. And how can you reframe your mindset there? and be able to see that it's possible. Writing a children's book, giving a a TED talk, or anything else that you wanna do that has nothing to do with diabetes, Mm -hmm. surfing, skiing, hiking. Um, I really believe that it's all possible if you believe that it's possible. So I'm glad you brought that up. Absolutely, and I think just getting your foot in, getting your foot in the door and getting started is like the best way to do that. Um, I'm actually signed up for a half marathon in April. And I never, ever thought I would be able to do that, especially with the diabetes component um, in there. And I've started training for that and it's been incredible. And it's actually been a big help to my diabetes as well. So yeah, I completely agree with you. Just like being able to kind of overcome some of those limitations and you can do anything, even with diabetes. Yeah, dream big. Dream big. There's nothing you exactly. can't do. Nothing you can't yeah. do in life, but nothing you can't do in life because of the diabetes, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, as we're finishing up today, I ask people who are on this podcast a question, and that is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten about how to stay emotionally healthy with type one diabetes? And what advice would you give to listeners? Ooh, that one's interesting. I know I didn't warn you about it before, so I'm putting on the spot. Um, yeah, I guess. What's worked for you? What's worked for you when diabetes has gotten stressful? For me personally, it's leaning on the people that I love. Um, and I know everyone has different boundaries in terms of their diabetes and their close relationships. Um, but for me, it's always been a big help to know that my parents support me and want me to just do well with diabetes. Um, and they've always pushed me to be the best I can be. And then the other people in my life, um, just support me endlessly with my diabetes. And, um, one of the like best things that have ever happened to me is one of my good friends coming back and telling me he did a bunch of research on diabetes after, um, we first got to know each other so that he could, like help me if I needed it, or he just wanted to know a little bit more about me. So, um, in general, I just really enjoy having people um, that I love and care about be willing to support me in my diabetes and, um, sometimes push me a little bit, but they also respect my boundaries and that's amazing for me. So I would just say like lean on the ones you love and kind of determine your comfort level with their involvement in your diabetes. Cause that's personal to everyone. But for me, um, I love, some of the ways that they're able to get involved in my life and my diabetes. Well, that's really great advice. Um, thank you so much, Brooke. I'm going to make sure that I put the link to 
your TEDx talk in the show notes so you can make everyone can make sure that they watch it and please do it's worth 15 minutes of your time for sure and I look forward to collaborating with you in the future thank you so much for joining me today thank you so much for having me that does it for this episode of the diabetes psychologist podcast if you enjoyed this episode please do me a favor share it with a friend put the link in a text message or an email and send it to them and let them know how much they would enjoy it Sharing this episode will really help me get the word out about this podcast so more people with type 1 diabetes can benefit. I always love hearing from my listeners, so please feel free to send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com or DM me on Instagram at thediabetespsychologist. And of course, be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. Remember, type 1 diabetes is not easy but you can have an easier time with it. And I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast.